Hi, folks, and welcome to the Empowering Dietitians podcast, where each week I explore a different topic to help you feel more confident and connected to your work as a dietitian. I'm your host, Jess Sertikoff Ramola, a registered dietitian, dietitian supervisor, and owner of Empowering Dietitians, where I help burnt out and unhappy dietitians opt out of hustle culture and reclaim their passion and purpose as a human first and dietitian second. After all, we are all more than a dietitian. Think of this episode like an addendum to episode 131 back in April of this year. It's a policy-heavy, information-driven episode all about the changes the CDR is making to their CEU approval process, taking effect April 1st, 2024. Listen in for an overview of how that will affect you, particularly if you're a CEU provider, but also if you're a consumer of CEUs and want to know how continuing ed is likely to change in the coming year. Back in April, I aired episode 131, all about how to go through the CEU approval process for a course. Of course, a hot second after I aired that episode, CDR was like, hey, by the way, we're changing that entire process. Cool. Cool. So I have spent the past few months learning more about the changes that are going into effect and wanted to record an update to that previous episode since a lot of the process is now going to be completely different, at least as of 2024. Now, to be fair, this is not going to be an episode exactly like the last one. The last one walked you through step by step the process that I took to get my course abundance approved as kind of a case study for how you might go through and do the same thing if you're looking to get a course or a class approved for continuing it. That's not what this one's going to be out be about. This is going to be more of the broader picture of which policies are going to be changing and how that is going to change the process. Um, and we'll talk more about what to look for in future episodes that might kind of expand upon this one even more. Now, this episode is particularly helpful for all of the dietitians listening who either currently create, host, and provide CEUs for fellow dietitians, or maybe aspire to in the future. But of course, you may be interested in tuning in, even if you don't. After all, we all consume CEUs, and especially if you're in the U.S. and rely on CDR-approved CEUs, these changes do affect you too. So today I want to go over how continuing education credits are going to change over the coming months, as well as provide some of my own totally subjective thoughts on these changes. But first, let's go over why CDR says that they're making changes in the first place. The main changes center around a core set of goals. They want to remove commercial bias from CEU opportunities improve data collection, simplify logging of continuing ed credits, and align CDR policies with those of the Organization of Joint Accreditation for Interprofessional Continuing Education. So that's kind of, that's really the big one. Um, so this Organization of Joint Accreditation has expectations and guidelines for what a participating organization or profession will 
do to mandate and regulate their continuing ed. Um, and so CDR is doing a lot to bring their process into alignment with this bigger organization. Now, there are some other fluffy reasons and goals that CDR states. Of course, they like to throw in things like inclusion, diversity, equity, etc. Um, but when you actually look at the policies themselves that are changing, um, the ones that I listed are the ones that they seem to be really putting the most attention toward. So let's get into the changes themselves. I'm going to link the full policy manual and other helpful documents in the show notes. Um, to access them, you do have to like technically check out through CDR, um, but it's free. All of the resources are free, so you don't have to pay anything for them. You just have to like sign up for the quote-unquote free course that they offer through their website. Um, and if you do have any questions about accessing that um, outside of CDR or anything like that, let me know, and I will certainly look into the logistics and legality of that. Um, when you do sign up for those resources, you'll also get access to a replay of the information session that I attended, um, again, available for free through CDR. Um, and if you are a CEU provider, I highly recommend that you don't just listen to this one podcast episode, that you really watch the replay and read through that policy. It is dense, it is long, but it is full of really helpful information. I'm not going to be going through every line of that manual or expound upon every which way that you as an individual may be impacted by these changes. Um, We'd be here all day for one thing, and I can't give individual guidance through a podcast episode to start. So instead, I do want to give you a broad overview, like I mentioned earlier, so that we can understand these big picture changes and how they will impact you, whether you're a CEU provider, a CEU consumer, or both, so that you can look into the policy in more detail and see if you have follow-up questions from there. So let's talk about the logistics and legwork of getting an activity approved, because that is one of the big ways that the policy changes. One of the biggest changes is that CDR is condensing their activity types down to about 15. Um, that's down from approximately like 1 billion. You know, the, the drop down menu when you go to either log uh, an activity for your own professional development portfolio or to get an activity that you've created approved through CDR. Um, and it's this long, long list and you probably only choose like three of them most of the time. Um, but there's this huge list of all the different types of activities that you can log. Um, that should be a much shorter list now. And again, uh, the full list of the different types of activities along with their descriptions is available through that link in the show notes. It's been my impression that some of this will actually lessen the burden on the CEU provider in a lot of situations. For example, um, and again, this is my interpretation of it, bigger courses won't necessarily need to go through the same rigorous approval process that I went through to get my course abundance approved. That process involved having expert reviewers go through the entire course and provide feedback, hiring a professional test writer to create questions for the post-assessment, among other things. 
It took a full year for me to go through. It was pretty expensive and very labor intensive. And you can hear more about that experience in episode 131, which I mentioned at the start of this episode. Now, again, if I've interpreted CDR's policy correctly and based on kind of the Q&A of that information session, um, I can now list abundance as an enduring activity. That's an activity type and basically eliminate all of that headache. It should be easier to get it approved, which is awesome. Now, there is the option of categorizing bigger courses and classes, ones that are like, I could probably do it for abundance, which is 24 CEUs, but especially for ones that are above 35 CEUs, um, you can classify those as certificate programs um, or certification programs. And so, for example, um, the Intuitive Eating Counselor Certification is probably one that a lot of us are familiar with that would count like that. So um, you go through this bigger program with a lot of different steps and components to it. It's worth a ton of CEUs. Um, and at the end of it, you get a certificate and like a, a certification. So it's not just a certificate of completion. You also get a designation of being a certified blank in this situation, an Intuitive Eating Counselor. Um, and that process for the certification programs, that looks a lot like the one that I previously went through for abundance. Um, but it'll no longer be a requirement for all self-study courses, which is very helpful. Um, and again, I, I'm probably going to record a third episode on this sometime in 2024 or 2025. Um, not a guarantee. That's a long way away. But once I've personally experienced the impl implementation of the new policy, I will probably create one that is more similar to episode 131, where I kind of walk you through the process if you want to become a continuing ed provider and have questions, um, some step-by-step -step things that you'll need to pay attention to. Um, but for now, hopefully this episode serves as a kind of heads up for what you can look into on your own if you think that um, a policy change that I mention or allude to is relevant to your work as a dietitian or provider. Now, all of that being said, there are going to be some changes that do increase the burden on the individual CEU provider. So the person who is providing the CEUs to dietitians. One big change is that every single provider, every single CEU provider will have to designate a minimum of one, but up to three accountable contacts for handling pretty much all of the administrative components for CEU approval and management. Now, for a one-person show like me with Empowering Dietitians, where I am my only employee, um, I get the privilege of being my own accountable contact. For larger organizations or maybe dietitians who could uh, hire a VA to handle their CEU concerns, this doesn't have to be the provider themselves, and that can alleviate some of the burden, but of course will come as an extra expense. Now, every accountable contact is a person who will have to go through training through CDR on an annual basis based on to learn kind of the updates, the changes, et cetera, so that they are completely up to date on what's going on in the CDR CE world, how you submit, what counts, all of that good stuff. Um, and this accountable provider will also have to fill out 
um, a benchmarking report, which sounds like it's a one-time report per provider, along with annual reports on the quantity and quality of the CEUs provided by the designated provider for that coming year. Uh, again, it's kind of hard to say without actually going through these reports myself, um, but based on the information provided in the manual of what types of information will be expected in these reports, it does seem fairly extensive. So it is one more thing that you have to kind of keep on top of as a provider. Also, logistically, fees are increasing and getting adjusted because, of course, they are. Because when would an organization not take any opportunity to charge us more money? Maybe that's the cynic in me coming out. Um, and there is also now a cap on enduring activities. So no one single activity can supply more than 35 CEUs. I kind of mentioned that before with the certificate program or certifications. Um, and so I have definitely seen some dietitian-led courses and programs that provide, for example, upwards of 60 CEUs. So under this new policy, those courses are either going to need to be split into multiple different smaller activities and submitted for approval separately um, in order to maximize the number of CUs, which of course increases the cost of the CU approval process for the provider and also may logistically change how it's marketed and delivered. So that's something to consider. Or um, that provider could go the certification route instead of classifying it as an enduring activity. You would classify it as a certification program that would have a more rigorous approval process. Um, and that, from what it sounds like, will not have a cap on the CEUs. So that's another way around it. Uh, by far, though, like the logistics are going to change some things. There's going to be some growing pains. There's going to be some adjustments. And I do have some concerns about the burden that it may place on kind of smaller practitioners, which I'll talk about later in the episode a little bit more. But I think the biggest shift is coming from CDR's stance on marketing and commercialism. It seems like a lot of the changes to the policies that we're seeing over the coming months are going to be focused on this topic specifically. They are getting really serious about how branding and marketing overlaps with CEU activities and events, both virtual and live events. And it's going to dramatically change how providers approach their activities, both how they're structured, how they're marketed, all of the things. First, there is going to be no branding or marketing allowed during continuing education. That means no logos, no branded product images, no talking about products or services. Um, I can't even have the words empowering dietitians on a slide deck, for example, or in the title of an activity. So, for example, it can't be abundance, an empowering dietitians course. It just has to be abundance. Um, I can't have my logo on any of the content related to the continuing edit itself. Um, I can't even have, as of right now, a copyright notice. Um, because again, that would involve writing something like copyright empowering dietitians 2024 on the bottom of a handout or slides to try to prevent plagiarism and stealing and all of that stuff. Um, 
according to CDR, I did reach out to them about this in particular. Um, they're having quote unquote ongoing conversations about the copyright point in particular, but there is no re resolution established at this time. Now, I don't totally hate this policy. I used to start out with my master classes and workshops when I first started hosting them at the start of this year. Um, I would end each one with kind of this pitch almost a kind of hey if you liked this check out these other offerings but i found that as i did that i never really felt authentic ending that way it felt a little bait and switchy um and i've recently pivoted to remove that component from the class or the workshop itself um so in that sense i i kind of understand where they're getting from right like we we want the continuing ed to be content driven and not biased and this isn't just a, an excuse to market and pitch your services and <laughs> i also still have a business to run and if i don't have a way of communicating what i do and offer if i can't even like say the name of my business really um for anyone who's entering my space it's going to be harder for me to sustain that business. I'm going to have to get much more creative um, and intentional about how I market in relation to anything that I offer that has a continuing ed attachment to it. In fact, in order to communicate any form of marketing to participants in a program, I will need to essentially send a separate email or there are some different stipulations for in-person events, but I'm going to focus primarily on virtual ones just for like simplicity. Um, I would have to send a separate email after the event inviting you to opt in to further marketing. So right now what I do is I say on the sign up page, hey, when you sign up for this event, you will also be added to my email list. I do that primarily so that I can communicate with you updates throughout the the lead up to the event. If there's a workbook, I can get that out to you. It's a way for me to stay in touch if anything changes or I have to send you reminders. Um, and I say very explicitly, you can opt out anytime. I recommend waiting until X date to opt out so that you get all of the the event-related updates. Um, and typically speaking, I exclude you as, as long as all of my automations function correctly. Um, you're, you're not put into the main marketing sequence or the main like marketing emails of my email list until after the event. So I do have the opt-out piece, which is important. It's required under this new policy, but I don't really have an opt-in process. And that's potentially a problem according to CDR now. So let's say that I have a masterclass and the next day I am allowed to send an email to participants that's like, hey, thanks for joining me. If you liked this content, click here. If you wanted to be added onto my email list to learn more about what I do and receive additional support via email. I may at that point also be able to include a link to separate marketing. For example, directing them to a sales page for my supervision packages, kind of in a, hey, also, if you liked this, you can click here to learn more about other things that I do. Um, but I can't include that information directly in the email itself. I can't say, you know, in the email, the body of the email, I can't say I have spots open in my supervision program. Here's what it involves. 
um, unless the participant has actively consented and opted into it. And again, I don't hate this policy. I am all about a good informed consent driven sales process. I have been reading more into non-coercive marketing. It really resonates. And there are aspects of this that are wonderful opportunities for me to reflect back on my marketing decisions, double check that they're not being subtly influenced by hustle culture, and really drive home consent for you as a participant and a potential buyer. But it is going to require some adjustments and rethinking if you often use CEU activities to market your business, or if you lean on branded funding from like food companies or commodity organizations. One of my concerns is that this is going to dissuade brands and commodity organizations from adequately paying dietitians to supply CEUs for them. If they can no longer use it as a way to like plug their product or commodity, right? I'm also wondering if dietitian providers themselves will offer fewer CEUs if they can't use them as marketing tools. So I recently went to, uh, signed up for a webinar for a dietitian who also sells something for dietitians. And the webinar was 100% like a big pitch, but it counted for a CEU. So will dietitians who are using a business model like that stop offering CEUs for those things because they can't anymore, thus decreasing the amount of CEUs available to us. And again, this could be good and ethical. And maybe we'd see a decrease in those, like, I hate to say, but kind of like sleazy webinars. That's a really strong word. But the ones that are kind of just fluff that get you to sign up so that you're on their your their email list and can hear you pitch at the end right like there's not a lot of substance and takeaways from the webinar itself um but right now they're technically approved for ceus it's possible that that's a it's actually a benefit for us that we wind up with higher quality ceus but if you're a dietitian who struggles to get all of your CEUs in per cycle, or you're juggling having to space out your CEUs because you don't just have to uh, get the 75 per five-year cycle for CDR, but you also have state licenses that expire every two years, then I do care if you have fewer of those like easy, low-effort options available to you because let's face it, sometimes we need those low-effort, easy just check the box, get it done options. So ultimately, all of my concerns are speculation at this point. All of my thoughts, all of my opinions are just me thinking out loud about the unintended consequences that these policy changes could bring. I need to see how this actually plays out before I, I absolutely give a strong, like, this is terrible, or this is good, or I don't like this aspect of it. But my goal is always to break down barriers to accessing and affording quality continuing education. And I think it's still too early to tell how these changes are going to impact that. There is definitely going to be an increased burden on the like small beans providers like myself, um, and probably a lot of you who are listening who provide CEUs through CDR. 
big brands have resources to designate accountable contacts, or they have lawyers that understand how to finagle the marketing stipulations so that they technically check all the boxes and meet the guidelines, but still get to get their marketing across, things like that. But individual practitioners who want to provide a CEU here or there to their colleagues will have some extra hoops to jump through to figure out how to incorporate it into sustainable aspects of their work. So again, I went through a lot of things and, and some of the terms may be new to you because again, they're changing the way that we categorize stuff. So I do encourage you to learn more about this. But in terms of next steps, we are looking at an implementation date of April 1st, 2024. And there should be information for accountable contacts to start getting trained and set up early next year. Um, CDR also said that there should be additional resources coming out, like case study examples to help walk you through kind of like a if my CEU activity looks like this, then this is the way that things are going to change kind of scenarios to help you understand how this is going to impact you. Um, so we should be getting more information about all of that over the coming months. Any CEUs that are already approved right now will be grandfathered in through their current expiration date. So for example, I think when Abundance got approved, it should be a three-year approval, I think. I'm doing this without checking my notes on Abundance, but Abundance got approved um, in March-ish of 2023 this year. I believe that it is approved through March of 2026-ish. So that's not going to change. I don't have to do anything for my Abundance course. But when it does expire in 2026, if I want it to keep having continuing it attached to it, then I'll have to go through this new process and go through the new steps for getting it approved, if that makes sense as an example, right? So like if you have continuing ed that is already approved, nothing is going to happen to it until it expires and you have to go for a renewal of it. Um, and I believe that that will be the case for anything that gets approved through like March 31st of 2024, because again, this policy doesn't take implementation doesn't take effect until April 1st of next year. Um, so right now, nothing has actually taken effect. Nothing has actually changed. Everything is still the same as it has been. But it is a good time to start familiarizing yourself with the new policy and the changes. Reach out to CDR if you do have questions. They do respond. Um, I have reached out and talked to them about my concerns and they've clarified some things and hopefully will continue to clarify more um, so that you are prepared for when it does take effect. And again, I will include a lot of the links in the show notes, but remember, I'm not a representative of CDR. I'm not affiliated with CDR in any way, shape, or form. I'm simply a dietitian who provides CEUs, and I've been learning as much as I can about the policy changes and relaying what I know and what I think about them here today. And I'm curious to hear from you now. What do you think of some of these changes? What questions do they spark in you? I would imagine that after a quick, like jam-packed episode like this, where I just throw information out, um, you probably have a bunch of questions. And I'd love to start a larger conversation and discussion about this. You know, I'm 
always a big fan of nuanced and bigger conversations beyond what I just talk at you about for 20, 30 minutes on a podcast episode. You can always connect with me via email or Instagram if you have thoughts after listening to this episode. And I hope at the bare minimum that it helped outline some of the things for you to keep an eye out for on the horizon so that you're not caught off guard in the coming year. And by the way, if you do like these kind of policy heavy, super informational episodes, which I don't do, I try to like space them out. So it's not all the time. Uh, stay tuned because I will have another one next month where I'll be tackling the new academy policy and initiative for licensure compacts statewide and nationwide. So until next time, take it easy, dietitians. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Empowering Dietitians podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, there are two things you can do that dramatically help to support the show. First, leave a quick rating and or review on your podcast listening app of choice. This helps new listeners find the show. Second, sharing this episode with a dietitian friend can also go a long way in spreading the anti-hustle message to dietitians far and wide. And speaking of supporting one another, please don't be a stranger if you find yourself in need of that supportive space yourself. There are a number of ways to work with me, from one-on-one supervision packages to my course, Abundance, and periodic live classes and workshops. The best way to stay up to date on which of these services and offerings are available at any given time? Grab my free dietitian journal to sign yourself up for my email list at www dot empowering dietitians.com slash resources. That's www.empowering dietitians.com slash R E S O U R C E S.